Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our morning service, Sunday 15th of March, 2020. This morning we are joined by Pastor Clifford Morrison, who takes his reading from Psalm 56, and brings us a message entitled, Time to Seek the Lord. At the beginning of the week, it was my intention to continue our series of studies in the life and times of Elijah. But as the week went on and as I engaged in different conversations and waited before the Lord in prayer, I felt exercise to go in a different direction. And when you were sleeping, probably the most of you were sleeping this morning, about two o'clock or half two, I was in the study waiting before the Lord, asking that I might bring a message today that would be a means of comfort and reassurance to all of us. So I invite you to turn with me to the 56th Psalm. Psalm 56. It was the late Dr. Warren Wearsby who used to say that a psalm a day keeps the devil at bay. And uh, I think there's something maybe in that. But let's read this psalm together. Be gracious to me, O God, For man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. For many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause and Their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape. In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle, are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of of life. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through your word in different circumstances and different situations. We pray this morning, in the midst of all that is happening around us, we might hear your voice through your word. And this we pray in Jesus' name and for Christ's sake. Amen. The overwhelming message of the Bible is that Only God can save his people. And he not only can save them from their sins, but we believe as Christians he can also sustain them in their sufferings. And when surrounded by troubles and beset by trials and blinded by tears, the child of God can call upon the Lord for deliverance, trusting that he will rescue them out of their distress. I don't know how many times I've sung it, hummed it, whistled it. And you've sung it too. Trust in the Lord. Don't despair. 
He is a friend so true, no matter what your troubles are, Jesus will see you through. Is that just a little sentimental line to keep us happy and to amuse us? Or is it a a truth based upon the revealed word of God? Psalm 56 is a song of trust. One in which David prayed to God to save him when he was under attack by enemies. The historical background is an incident in David's life when he fled from Saul to Gath, the hometown of a certain giant called Goliath. And in Gath, he took up temporary residence among the Philistines, only to escape to the cave of Adullam when he was hunted by his foes. You read about it in 1 Samuel 21 and in 1 Samuel 22. The enemies in this psalm were not the Philistines, but Saul and his men, who dogged the steps of David in an attempt to take his life. And understanding this, David's first reaction was a very natural one. He was fearful. That is expressed in verses 3 and 4 and verse 11. But that fear is dispelled by faith as David puts his trust in God. Will you take note of the question that the psalmist asked in verse 4? What can flesh or what can mortal man do to me? And I think we know the answer to that question. And we don't have to think about it too long. And to prove it, all you have to do is to read your daily newspaper, uh, to tune into your news media, whether by means of radio or TV. There is not a day passes where we're not confronted by what William Wadsworth, the poet, calls man's inhumanity to man. David asks, what can man do to me? And some might answer, well, man can do a lot to me. Man can oppress me, man can slander me, he can hurt me, he can hit me, he can maim me, he can murder me for starters. It's not true to say sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Names do hurt, and you have been hurt, and I have been hurt. But of course, that is not the answer David is going to give us in Psalm 56. His answer to the question, what can man do, is simply this, nothing. Man can do absolutely nothing. Not if God stands for me and stands against the opposition. But maybe the immediate reaction to this is to say to yourself, well, it's all right uh, for you to say that. And it was all right for David. He was a king. He commanded an army. He lived in a safe and secure city. And not many of us are as fortunate as David. Well, let me stress it again this morning. That was not the situation that David was in when he wrote this psalm. The title sets it straight. Uh, To the choir master, according to the dove and far-off Terebith, a miscommand of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. It was written about the time when the Philistines were after him seizing him in Gath. Early in his life, David had been forced to flee from King Saul because he was trying to kill him. And in his escape, he went to a place called Nob where a man by the name of Abimelech, who was the head priest, assisted him by giving him food and a sword. 
And then a man by the name of Doeg was present when David arrived in Nob, and later Doeg reported all this to King Saul. And this led to the king demanding that uh, Abimelech should be killed. And Doeg obliged Saul by killing Abimelech. In fact, Doeg killed all the priests of Nob, 85 of them, along with their entire family. And there was a time lapse between David's visit to Nob and Doeg's report of that visit to Saul. To, uh, to Saul. And two things happened during that period of time. As I said, you read about it in 1 Samuel 21 and 22. David fled to the city of God where he thought he would be safe from Saul. And then when he realized he would not be safe in Gath, he fled to the cave of Adullam, where his brothers and other discontented people began to gather around him. And at the end of that period, David had gathered 400 men around him who eventually became the core of his army. And I say that this morning, not to fill in time. But as we read this psalm and meditate upon it, remember that David is in Gath in between the time he went to Nob and then eventually to the cave of Adullam. And there are certain things worth noting. First of all, he's alone. He had fled from Saul without any soldiers. In fact, he's without food or weapons. And we can think of him having 400 men in the wilderness. He had some companionship and at least some measure of protection. But according to 1 Samuel 21, the gathering of the army occurred after the time in Gath. So David is entirely alone. There's no one with him. He's alone, humanly speaking. Secondly, he's agitated. Gath, as I've already intimated, had been the home of the giant Goliath, the Philistine hero who had been the pride of Gath. And David knew that. And here he was in the hometown of the hero he had killed. And when David had been at Nob just before this, he had asked Abimelech, had he any weapons? And he gave David the only weapon he had, which was the sword that belonged to Goliath. A sword that would be remembered and recognized by the people of Gath. And there are only two ways Any sane man would walk into Gath under these circumstances, either in arrogance, pride, or desperation. David was in despair, and his spirit was agitated. And he was so agitated in spirit that any hole in the wall would do, even Gath. He's alone, he's agitated, he's afraid. We're told that explicitly in 1 Samuel that when David arrived in Gath, his presence was reported to the king of Gath, a man called Achish. And Achish said, isn't this David the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? They say Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And in 1 Samuel 21 and 12, we read that David took these words to heart. And he was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And since David had no one to defend him, he he resorted to pretending that he was insane, he was out of his mind, so that the king would despise him rather than kill him, and so he eventually escaped. And this is the background which is vital to our understanding and appreciation of the words that I want to focus on for a few moments this morning. And it's verse 3 of Psalm 56. When 
I'm afraid. I will trust in you. Let's say that together this morning after two. One, two. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Say it again. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. There are three things I want you to note this morning, very briefly, very simply. In this verse this morning, in these words, we have a present reality. David was afraid. Do you ever feel afraid? Do you ever feel desperate, agitated? But if you do, then this psalm will be a tonic for your soul. Because it is not merely about loneliness and fear. It is about faith that brings the victory. And over these real issues and terrible emotions that can cross our minds and that we can all pass through. You read through the psalm and you learn from David's experience. You learn something about David's troubles. He says, be merciful to me, O God, for men hotly pursue me all day long. They press their attack. Men slander, pursue me all day long. Many are attacking me in their pride. David voiced an urgent appeal for God's help when he was attacked by his enemies. Be merciful to me, he cries out here. He's crying to God, be merciful to me. For men hotly pursue me. Here were fierce fools who pressed their attack against him. His life was in great danger as slanders pursued him, attacking him in their pride. David says, men pursue me and men persecute me. Is any wonder there's a sense of fear? He was afraid. We learn something about not only David's troubles, but David's trials. Verses 5 and 6, all day long. They twist my words. They're always plotting to harm me. They conspire. They lurk my steps, eager to take my life. The problem was that all day long evil men were twisting his words. David says they were plotting to harm me. He was the object of their slander smear campaign as they misrepresented his words. They lurked in the shadows ready to strike at any moment's notice. They were watching his steps. They were weighing up his words. They were eager to pounce at a moment's notice. This trial was not imaginary. It was real, it was painful, and it was potentially devastating. Verse 5, men distorted his words. They devised his harm. Verse 6, they dogged his steps. They desired his life. His trials and his troubles were not imaginary. They were real, and they brought tears and fears. So we see here there is a present reality. David has troubles. David has trials. Notice there is a personal response. There's a personal response. He says here, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? And under this attack, David acknowledges his human frailty by saying, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. In the midst of his troubles, David was resolute in his trust in God. I suppose it's true to say that the question he poses here is a rhetorical question. What can mortal man do to me? Implying the negative answer, as I've already alluded to, nothing. 
Accept what God and his sovereignty permits. David reasoned that man is powerless to thwart God's eternal purpose in his life. Our God this morning is the God who shuts the mouths of lions. Our God is the God who controls the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. Our God is the God who puts the stars in their place and keeps them there along with the sun and the moon. Our God is the eternal God who upholds all things by his mighty sovereign power. When I am afraid, I will trust in this God. I will trust in him confidently. I will trust in him courageously. I will trust in him constantly. I will trust in him completely. I will trust his word, which is steadfast and sure. I will rely on his every promise and the knowledge that he will not fail to keep his word. I will rest in the truth that he knows the end from the beginning because he's the all-sufficient, ever-present, omnipotent God. I will trust him confidently, courageously, constantly, completely. Is that where we are this morning? Because here we have a present reality. Here we have a personal response. And here we have a powerful resource. Notice what he says here. I will trust in you. I will trust in you. David ends this psalm in a spirit of triumph. And with the sound of thanksgiving. He says in verse 7, On no account let them escape in your anger. O God, bring down the nations. Record my lament. List my tears in your scroll. Are they not in your bottle? Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. God would write David's enemies. And the same God would record his tears. The armies and might of this world will not have the final say this morning. But God will. It seems to me that everywhere we look that evil is on the throne. And the ungodly and the godless seem to triumph. But you and I can rest assured that this will not last forever. Wickedness will not stand. God will avenge his own. God will overthrow the enemy and God will wipe away every tear. Our tears are recorded and treasured by the Lord. You have kept account of my tossings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not recorded in your book? What a wonderful God we have this morning. You know, it's a simple illustration, but I think it's a very telling illustration. If you pay attention when your children cry, how much more does God notice his children? He is so concerned that he saves our tears and a day will come when he will wipe away every tear. Let me add this this morning. Someone said that the tearless dry new tears. They cannot understand them. It is only one who has had like experiences who is able to sympathize, comfort, and enter into our sorrows. Isn't that the Lord Jesus this morning? Isn't that what the writer says in Hebrews 4, 
In verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Doesn't the writer say in Hebrews 2 and 18, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And there's a great temptation to take our eyes of God and to fill our horizon with the things that are happening around us and we lose sight of the Almighty. What assurance and comfort this gives us in the midst of our troubles, trials, and tears. David responds here. He has a powerful resource. There is a spirit of triumph here. There's a sound of thanksgiving. He says, In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I am under vows to you, O God. I will present my thank offerings to you. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling. That I might walk before God in the light of life. And David concludes with a strong declaration of praise to God, even in the face of mounting troubles. Notice in verses 10 to 11, David thanks God for his word. And in verses 12 to 13, he thanks God for his working. What a great God we have this morning. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. What's God saying to us today? It's very important as a church. It's very important as a community of God's people that we ask this question, what is God saying? Everything is being cancelled. Sport, entertainment, travel, hospital appointments, special events. Someone has called it the March Madness. But let us be aware of one thing that has not been cancelled and will not be cancelled. God will never cancel his promises to take care of us. And we must never interpret the presence of problems as the absence of God. God has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God is with us. And God is for us. And he offers us his peace in the midst of uncertainty. And his hope in the midst of heaviness. And tranquility in spite of adversity. What is God saying to us? Well, I believe as a nation, as a province, I believe that he's saying to us, it's time to seek the Lord. One of the things that saddens me from my listening and from my observation, I don't see any leading churchmen or any leading politicians calling our nation to prayer. I don't see any humbling in high places and the need to repent of our evil ways as a nation. The prophet Hosea says it's time to seek the Lord. Paul says now is the day of salvation. I believe that God can speak through catastrophes to unconverted. It may be that you will meet people this week and they will say to you, I'm afraid. What are you going to say to them? Are you going to be able to give to them a reason for the hope that lies within you? Are you going to be able to say that because Jesus lives, I can face tomorrow? What do you mean by that, says the person in response? Can you give them a clear declaration of your faith and your trust and your hope in God? 
But as the Bible says, the Bible reminds us that our life is like a mist of vapor appears for a little while and then vanishes. What is God saying to us? Well, I believe he's saying to us this morning, Come unto me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. We have been thinking about the statement in Second Timothy 3 about the last days. And I believe we're living in the very last of the last days. Listen to what we read in Luke chapter 11. There will be signs in the sun. Verse 21, and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations. In perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and waves. People fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Listen to this. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads or lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. As I read the prophetical scriptures, I believe this. That the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ will come in two phases. He will come to the earth with his people in power and in great glory. And that's what Luke chapter 11 is emphasizing. The Son of Man will come in a cloud with power and great glory. But prior to his coming to the earth with his own, he will come to the air for his own. And the word that is used is the translation of the saints or the rapture of the church. Now listen to me carefully. If signs are appearing in relation to his coming to the earth, how near is his coming to the air? The coming of the Lord is drawing near. And these things should not take us by surprise. But it should awaken us that we might be on our tiptoes for the master. Because everywhere you read about the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ, the practical emphasis is that we should be a holy people, unashamed at his coming. I leave these words with you this morning from Second Chronicles chapter 7. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. And the response of God's servant to all that was this. Now my eyes will be opened. My ear is attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. When I am afraid, 
I will trust in you. There's a present reality. There's a personal response. There's a powerful resource. That's the word that the Lord has led on my heart. And may he bless it to your heart today. And may it be a means of blessing to all our souls. If you're a Christian, a child of God, saved by the grace of God, you have trusted in him for salvation. That's the greatest thing. God has saved us from sin and from death and hell. But if he does that, he's able to be with us every day that we live. So let's this morning look to God, lean on God, and learn from God. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Your word that constantly reminds us of your faithfulness and your sufficiency. We remember the testimony of your servant when he said, I have been young and I am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Your word that calls us to cast our burden upon the Lord and know that he will sustain us. When we find ourselves surrounded by circumstances that seem to be harmful and hurtful and hopeless, when we find ourselves standing at Wits End Corner, help us to put our trust in the Lord. May our anxiety be replaced with the assurance of your love. May the peace of God overcome any panic. When terrifying circumstances come into our lives, in such hour, may we trust in God and know his love casting out every fear. Remember those who live alone. Lord, we pray that they might realize that they're never alone, for God indeed is with them, and he indeed is their refuge and their strength. Lord, none of us know what a day may bring forth, but God holds the key of all unknown, and we are glad. Bless your word to our hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name, and for Christ's sake. Amen. We're going to sing...